Today, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. I've entitled the message today, Tradition or Truth? Now, there can be truth in tradition, but not the tradition that we're talking about here. Um, traditions are a part of the fabric, really, that make up our society. And even in a large degree, is it not true that even in our families, we have traditions that we enjoy? Um, you know, Thanksgiving, we have the turkey with all the fixings. Uh, Christmas time, we exchange gifts. Memorial Day, we, even in our country, we recognize uh, people that sacrifice their lives uh, for our freedom. Uh, so there are many, many traditions we hold on July 4th. We have fireworks. Um, I remember going up to State College and they had fireworks going off. You could tune your radio in and the music would coordinate with the, the explosions and uh, things like that. And uh, Valentine's Day, we exchange cards with people that we love. And I have to tell you that Pam and I exchange Valentine cards uh, this year like we normally do. And, and uh, I, 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 let's see, which one of us opened the card first? I opened, I opened the card that she gave me and, and lo and behold, there were two Chick-fil-A gift cards in there. If we're going back east, there's no Chick-fil-A around here, so I thought, well, that is really, really thoughtful. I gave her her Valentine card, and she opened up, and there were two Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I'm like, you start thinking alike, I guess, when you're married. I don't know. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but tradition. Um, we even see the play, The Fiddler on the Roof, was tradition. I'll make them sing it for you. You say thank you. Um, but Tevia had five daughters who wanted to get married because of love rather than arrangement. And they were struggling because there was a tradition that was being come up against. And so here in this passage, we kind of see tradition being challenged. Jesus is challenging the tradition of the elders. So let's read down through this account, and then we'll come back and unpack it. Beginning in verse 1, Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin. That is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. 
Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside of man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And he had left the crowd. after he left the crowd, he entered the house. His disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked, don't you see? that nothing enters a man from the outside that can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So here we see this whole aspect of, first of all, the problem that we see here is in the opening verses. The Pharisees and teachers of the law have a problem because the disciples are eating with unwashed hands. Now, you have to understand, in their culture, they were really not concerned about hygiene. That wasn't why they were concerned about them not washing their hands and picking up, you know, bacteria and that kind of thing. They were concerned about ceremonialism, the ceremony, the teachings of the elders. And basically, the teaching of the elders was an oral teaching. They would try to add to the law to tell people how they should live, how they should act, what they should do, but it was all based on externals. And so even, even to the degree of when they washed their hands, they had to hold their hands in a certain position. In other words, their fingers had to be pointing up like this. And I don't know why, but commentators say they would take about an egg and a half. I don't know where they get this measurement. An egg and a half of water and they would drop it on the fingers and it would roll down their hands to their wrists. And then after they did that, they had to flip their hands the other way and this way. And they would take more water and pour it over their hands so it would drip off their fingers. And then they had to do this, take their fist, put it in their other hand and rub it so that it was clean. And they held on to this like this was God's law. And so Jesus is challenging them, saying, no, no, no. That is not how you become spiritually clean. They were saying this is what makes us spiritually clean, spiritually right with God. This is what makes us holy. And Jesus is saying that has nothing whatsoever to do with holiness. And so many times we pick up traditions, and we even have them, do we not sometimes in the church, where we begin to worship a tradition rather than worshiping God. And even in their day, they would, you know, they would wear the tefillim on the head, which was a little leather box with scripture in it, or they would wear it on their arm, you know, the little leather box that had scripture in it. They would put the, like I mentioned last, uh, the other week about the baby dedication, the mezuzah on the doorpost. Those are all good things to do, but they can become traditions. You know, we pray before our meal. But really, in Scripture, we get that because Jesus prayed before he broke the loaves and the fishes. 
But can we actually find a command in Scripture that you're supposed to do that? We are told that we are to be thankful, and I think we should. But could we not pray in the middle of the meal? Or at the end of the meal? You see what I'm saying? We, we get these ideas, and even when I was a little kid, it was like, now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. You know, we have all these little things that we say, and actually, um, Ryan taught us a new prayer that college students pray uh, like that, and it goes a little bit like this. Now I lay me down to rest, a pile of books upon my chest. If I should die before I wake, that's one less test I have to take. So you might want to write that down as a student because I thought that was pretty good. But we can make this stuff traditions where we just have traditions and we mouth words and we say things and it doesn't really mean anything. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell them. So here was the idea. The real problem was they were focusing on all the externals. See, we have a lot of externals, and even in the church, you know, 30 years ago, it used to be every church service started at 11 o'clock. Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. Where in Scripture does it say you have to have a worship service at 11 o'clock? We do that because why? Because, well, in an agrarian culture, oftentimes you've got to feed the cows or milk the cows before you come to church, and it seemed like 11 o'clock was a good time to have church. And so we do these things, and then we say, well, you know, it's got to be hymns. It's got to be hymns. Those are the godly things. And do you know that hymns, though, way back at the beginning when they came into the church, they weren't necessarily very well received? Say, really? Yeah, really. Why? Because if you, Martin Luther's A Mighty Fortress is Our God, was sung to a barroom tune. And the church didn't like that. And so, see, we get these ideas in our head that, oh, it's got to be this way, it's got to be that way. You've got to wear a suit and tie to church. And what chapter and verse do you get that from? You see, well, that's what I was taught. Tradition. Yes, we come respectfully dressed, modestly dressed. That's what Scripture, whole, dressed in a holy manner, whatever that is would be but the externals can take over you know we can do all the external things to look spiritual on the inside and be full of sinful attitudes on the inside can we not for instance i can hold the door open for someone and at the same time i could be judging them i mean i could um i can criticize others to the neglect of my own sin one commentator said this, if there is a conflict between culture and scripture, the believer should follow scripture. Did you hear that? If there is a conflict between culture and scripture, the believer should follow scripture. See, we, we have in our day, we have this gender dysphoria that is going on, gender confusion that is going on. All we have to do to clear up all the gender confusion is go back to the book of Genesis and see that God created them male and female and he determined our sexual identity. It's not a up for discussion. He determined that. 
Even before we were born, he determined that. So there doesn't need to be all this confusion that goes on. Purity of heart is not determined by external behavior, but by internal attitudes. So what does Jesus do with this? Here they give this big question, and hey, what are they, they're not washing their hands, they're not doing what the tradition of the elders, and here he gives them the first rebuke in verses 6 to 8. Let's look at it. <clears throat> he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Traditions. You know, the, the little Bayer aspirin? You guys are familiar with the Bayer aspirin? The Bayer Corporation actually stopped putting the little piece of cotton in the bottle. Do you know why? They realized that the aspirin would hold up just fine without the little piece of cotton. They realized, they said, you know what, that was just a tradition <laughs> that they did. It was a tradition. And they also realized, they said, it's hard to get out. <laughs> you get those big fingers and try to get it out of there. It's hard to do. Long-standing traditions in the church can often create more hardship than help. You know, because we have this pattern. And patterns are good, but sometimes patterns are bad. Because we get into a pattern of thinking and behavior that is not necessarily biblical. If we go to if, think about the example of Jesus in John 13. When he met with the disciples, they come in. And what did he do with the disciples? He washes their feet. He takes the position of a slave and he washes their feet to show an act of love. And, if, and, and actually at the beginning of that it says to show the full extent of his love. And then he girds himself with a towel and he washes their feet. Why? It was the position of a slave. It was the lowest of jobs. But then we have tradition in some churches, and this is not to put anybody down, but they turn that into a practice. Oh, well, we need to wash people's feet because that's what Jesus did. But is that what Jesus was really teaching? Because in their culture, they wore sandals and robes and walked on dusty roads. And I don't wear sandals and I don't walk, well, there's some dusty roads around here. But I think he was teaching, he was not trying to teach a particular practice he was trying to teach a general principle, and the principle was to serve one another with love. That's what the principle, that's the timeless truth there, to serve one another with love. Because the truth of the matter is, you could wash my feet, but then when I'm home sick and need a meal or something, I don't need my foot washed, I need a meal. And so... What good is the foot washing if you don't provide? You see what I'm saying? There are things we can do in ministry-wise. It's easier to sit in a room, though, and wash somebody's feet than it is to go serve the sick or help the poor. 
And so Jesus rebukes them because he said, you are like hypocrites, and hypocrites are play actors. They pretend. Play actors, in, they would wear a mask, and they would play a role. And the role was different. They would act out a role and be somebody different than who they really were. And he says, that's what you are doing with washing these hands and doing all this stuff. You are like a play actor because you only do it for the vision of man and not for the heart of God. You're not doing it for the right reason. And so here was the real problem. The real problem was they were failing to worship God properly. They were only concerned about all of the externals. And it could be true that we could come to church every week and even be in God's word on a regular basis just to merely check it off and say, you know what, look what I've accomplished. But what has it done to my heart? How has it impacted me in ministering to others? You know, there are people that don't dress like me. They don't have the same values as me. They don't have the same, maybe even level of respect as me. And yet, they need a witness. They need the gospel. They need Jesus. And I can be Jesus to them if I can do it, worship in not just with my lips, but with my life. Pam and I were in a, a restaurant just a few weeks ago. And in that restaurant, there was a lady. She had both arms fully laced with tattoos. And so how do you connect with somebody like that? Well, we learned a question we can ask. Tell me about your tattoos. What are they wearing them for? To be seen? They want to talk about them? Tell me about your tattoos. She didn't even hesitate. Well, this one over here, this arm, it doesn't really mean anything. They're just, you know, it's just artwork. But over here, she said right here, this reminds me of my two-year-old brother that drowned. This one right here reminds me, was it 13? 13 years old? Somewhere around 13 or 14, somewhere near a teenager, my stepbrother took his life. Within a matter of two minutes, we learned more about her by asking about her tattoos than sitting back and judging her about her tattoos. So there's a story, and that story on her arm was a story of intense pain. And what was she doing? She was expressing her pain in a visual way. It may not be the way I express pain, but it was the way she was choosing to express her pain, and maybe it was the only way she knew how to express her pain. But the gospel wants to speak into her pain and deliver her from her pain. The gospel has the answer for that. But we can't get beyond that if we just merely judge the externals of someone 
and figure that there's something going on inside of that person and the reason why they have that external behavior. So Isaiah called them hypocrites. He says that we are to love God and to love others. You see, they talked a good game, but they lacked integrity. They said one thing at church and another thing at home or at work. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And here was the problem. It was their heart. See, we can have all the externals right. We can do everything on the outside right. I can sing the songs. I know the words. And I can mouth those words and they mean they don't touch my heart. They mean nothing to me. Do I think about the sacrifice of Jesus that we sang about this morning when we sing, or are we just merely mouthing the words, is he really the living hope of my life? And how do I express that throughout my week, that he's my hope? A Christian's Monday morning ought to be different than a worldly Monday morning. Say, oh, it's Monday, gotta, gotta go to work. For a Christian, it's Monday. Thank God I have a job to go to. Thank God I've got health to do a job. Thank God I've got a vehicle to drive to get to work. Thank God for his supply in my life. There's a heart that goes with it. You see, Cain killed his brother Abel, not because of what Abel did, but yet in a sense it was. But no, the real reason Cain killed his brother is not what Abel did, it's what Cain did. Cain had a wicked, evil heart. And a corrupt heart fuels a corrupt life. Here's what it says in second, oh, let me go on here. Second Timothy 3, 5. Having the appearance of godliness externally, but denying its power. Avoid such people. He says in 1 John 3, 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Deed, truth. Yes, action. Yes, external action. But truth, we do it with integrity. To honor the Lord, to promote the Lord, to honor Christ. Then he gives them a second rebuke. Look down at verses 9 to 13. <clears throat> He says to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father and mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer need to do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you hand it down and you do many things like that. He's saying that when you use the word Corban, this is your legal loophole to break the law. That's what they were doing. They, were, they, they created this legal loophole to break the law because whenever you said the word Corban, it was like taking a vow before God that you would devote this money 
or this possession to God and no longer could you give it to your father or your mother or anyone else for that matter. But here was the loophole. Yes, they vowed and dedicated it to God so they didn't have to, it was hands off for everybody else, but the loophole was they could still use it themselves. And so really it was a selfish thing that they were doing. But yet it looked good on the outside. I'm dedicating this to God. It's God's. Wow. I'm spiritual. Um, and they really weren't spiritual because they could use it themselves. In Timothy... Oh, I, maybe I don't... See, explanation. Maybe I don't have that one on there. In Titus 1.15... It says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. It is a heart matter. Remember when Pharaoh failed to let the Israelites go, the Bible says that Pharaoh did what? He hardened his heart. It was his heart problem that he had. In Romans 1.24, when it says that God gave them over to a sinful lifestyle, it says he gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I see what I did now. I think I got ahead of myself. Here was the explanation. The real problem in 14 to 24 was they were forfeiting truth to do their own thing. Forfeiting truth to do their own thing. Jesus, in verse 14, calls the crowd to him and says, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Now he's going to explain why he told them they were hypocrites and why they were setting aside the word of God. He says, Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Doesn't matter if you washed your hands or not, doesn't matter externally. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. That sounds pretty plain talk. But in verse 17, after he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. In other words, what are you talking about? Explain this to us. He says, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body... In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. And then he gives this whole grocery list of things internally that we can hold inside while externally we can do all this good spiritual stuff and we can be as far away from God as any sinner. For from within, out of men's hearts, Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from outside and make a man unclean. 
It's his heart, evil, de- evil thoughts, evil designs, evil deliberations, evil reasonings. He's saying you are thinking evil thoughts and that's why you do evil deeds. He talks about sexual immorality, sex outside of marriage. All sex outside of the marriage covenant, Jesus is saying is immoral. It comes from an evil heart, though. He said it's not the act, it's the heart that commits the act. Theft, acts of thievery, stealing what belongs to somebody else. He's saying that comes from a heart of coveting, envy, because he gets onto that murder, taking of innocent life. In our day, abortion, the taking of innocent life. And we say, well, that's the mother's right. No, taking life is not our right. God is the one who creates life. Taking of innocent life is murder. God does forgive. And if you're a lady here who has gone through an abortion, God does forgive every sin by his grace, by his power. If you've had relations outside the marriage, God can forgive you, but you have to ask him to forgive you. Adultery. He makes it specific, sexual relations outside of marriage, greed. He talks about covetousness and lust. And notice he is talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the people who were thinking they were the perfecters of the law, the ones who had it all right, which is a reminder to every one of us, especially if we've been in the church for a long time, be very, very careful with our traditions that we practice biblical truth. It is so much easier to go through traditions and motions rather than the truth. A corrupt heart fuels a corrupt life. He goes on to talk about malice, acts of wickedness, deceit, lying, Kids, do you lie to your parents? He talks earlier about honoring your father and your mother. You do not honor them by being deceitful. Spouses, do you lie to your spouse? Lewdness, debauchery, envy, an evil eye, slander, abusive speech, defamation of someone else. Do you slander people? Arrogance, pride, folly, foolishness, and stupidity. He's saying all of that comes out of the heart. You can wash your hands all you want to. It is not going to clean your heart. He called them earlier. He says, you're like, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're full of dead man's bones on the inside. You are rotten on the inside. He says in Hebrews 10.16, this is the covenant. They were forfeiting truth to do their own thing. 
In Hebrews 10.16, he says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws, listen to this carefully, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then down in verse 22, Hebrews 10, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's saying that purity of heart does not come from external behavior, but it is an internal heart attitude. Internal heart attitude. What is my attitude toward my brothers and sisters in Christ in the church? Am I at right relations with them? Not can I do all the external things and sing the songs and listen to the sermon while I'm at odds with a brother or sister in Christ? He's saying you can keep coming to church all you want to, but if you don't make that right with that brother or sister in Christ, you're not living according to Scripture. Living the odds. If we don't treat the people who are lost, if we don't show them the love of Christ and share the gospel of Christ with people that look different than us, sound different than us, we're no different than the Pharisees. Because we can do all the right things. We can say all the right things, be in the right places, and yet only honor God with our lips. It's a challenge for every one of us. It's a challenge to my own heart. If there is a conflict between culture and scripture, the believer should follow scripture. We should follow scripture. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, How's your worship? Do you do it from your heart? Some of it may depend on what you do on Saturday night. And any other night for that matter. But preparation for worship. Do you come with a prepared heart to worship the Lord? What life change will you initiate? Does the Holy Spirit want you to make in your life so that you are not following tradition, but you are following the truth? Maybe you have the externals, and this is what we see. We see a lot of, we see a lot of our kids growing up, and then they get out of high school, and they go to college, and they drift away from the Lord. How does that happen? Well, it can happen because they were only embracing a tradition of church and not the truth of the church. And oftentimes, I don't think they've really fallen away, in my opinion. I don't know that they were ever there to begin with. 
because I can't see their heart, so I can't say for sure. But I do know this, our convictions will be challenged every day when we walk out the doors of this building. Our convictions will be challenged. Our worldview will be challenged. It's being challenged in just about everything we do anymore with gender and this and that. We come back and say, what does the scripture say? The scripture is timeless. What does the scripture say? What does the scripture say is genuine worship? We can even put money in the offering, but our heart is not in it. I'm not really doing it as an act of worship. I'm just doing it out of obligation. We can do many, many things out of obligation, but where is, is my heart attitude that I'm wanting to further the kingdom? I'm wanting to further the gospel. I want to see lost people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and maybe I, you could be here a long time and still be going through the motions. Maybe you're a young person here and the only reason you're here is because mom and dad bring you to church, but you don't have any reality of Jesus in your heart. It's tradition. You need to repent of your sin, humble yourself before God and acknowledge your sin and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. I deserve your eternal wrath and judgment, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That is the only way you will get a clean heart if you don't have one. Would you bring it to Jesus? If we can be of spiritual help to you, we would love to pray with you, share scripture with you after the service. Please see myself or someone else. hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.